So um, I, um, I thought that I'd do some sutta tonight, that a uh, lesser known sutta, but one that, uh, that's a, a valuable teaching. Uh, every now and then I, I wanna go back to the Buddha's teachings, the original, or at least what's come down to us as uh, the original teachings. Um, and one collection of these teachings is uh, the Majima Nikaya, the Middle Length Discourses, um, thick, fat book of 152 discourses uh, that have come down to us from the Buddha. This is one collection, and I'll, I've shared this before, but uh, just to give you a sense, this is one collection, there are a number of collections. Majima means middle length, so these are the middle length discourses. Um, and a lot of these are told in stories. The so-and-so came to visit the Buddha, and it's um, a very, uh, it's more engaging uh, kind of teaching, and some of the main discourses of the teachings are in here, including the discourse on mindfulness, Satipatthana Sutta, which is number 10 of these 152. There's also the long discourses, that's a collection called the Diganakaya, and I think there's 26 of those. And then there's the numerical discourses, that's a whole other collection. And these are all translated by Bhikkhu Bodhi, a, a, a fantastic scholar and, uh, and translator. Um, Anguttaranakaya, the, the numerical discourses. If you thought you knew a few lists, this is all of these discourses are, there's the list of threes and the list of fours and the list of fives and each one has about, has many discourses, just different lists with those numbers. Then there's the um, Samyutta Nikaya, connected discourses um, that are all with a particular theme like there's the, the um, um, what is the um, Mara discourses, all the discourses where Mara comes and visits the Buddha. And then there's another one uh, that so and so, all of these, they're connected to a particular figure. Um, anyway, then there's one other collection which I won't get into. Anyway, I thought I'd um, go through um, the second discourse in the Majjhima Nikaya. The first discourse, by the way, is very um, dense and deep. Um, so I don't want to go there. And I'm not going to go through all 152, but I thought I'd just start with number two uh, tonight. I've gone through a number of these suttas, but I've never given a, a talk on number two. And Majima number two, is called the Sabasava Sutta, also known as All the Taints, T-A-I-N-T-S, Taints. S oh, it's actually, it should be pronounced Sab 
As, uh, asava sutta, yeah, because the asavas, yeah, asavas or asavas, I think asavas, are taints, and taints is another word for um, defilements of mind. And now I, I share this with you. Um, some of this stuff I've I've wanted to, I want to see if I can put it in a contemporary and user-friendly way because some of it is, um, might seem like a, a stretch for a lay practitioner, but um, I'll, I'll do what I can to, to make it uh, accessible. So a taint, also known as uh, all of these are synonyms. Cankers, corruptions, effluence, influencers. They're all impurities of mind that, and I'll quote Bhikkhu Bodhi here, that give trouble, ripen in suffering, and lead to future birth, aging, and death. That is, they keep us on this wheel of samsara. Samsara is the, the wheel that's depicted in uh, the, the teaching on dependent origination, where we keep on going round and around in the cycle of suffering. Um, and the taints, there are three main taints that are spoken of, uh, and I'll share with them and share you share them with you, and then um, give the Buddha's prescription for destroying the taints and uh, awakening. Okay. The three taints in this particular. Um, teaching or in, in the teachings are different from usually we hear of the three poisons, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion or attachment, aversion, and ignorance as the roots of all suffering. But in here these three taints or defilements, impurities of mind are craving for sense pleasures which this is the same thing as greed. Craving for being, that is attachment to existence. Now, that's a pretty strong one to break, to not have attachment to your existence. But this is a very refined kind of understanding where the more we are attached to our existence, the more we fear death. And so there's a kind of freedom that comes when although we want to take care of this body and we want to be as healthy as we can to not be attached to staying it as long as we can. Again, this is a very high bar to let go of. 
another way to think of this craving is sometimes it's known as attachment to becoming. And becoming, the word bhava, B-H-A-V-A, is attachment to wanting to achieve anything, to particularly when it's about look at me, like, oh, when I uh, become uh, you know, the, the number one salesperson in my, in my company, or when I uh, achieve this, and again, putting it in realistic terms, I think, and the Buddha says, there are healthy achievements there are healthy developments. You want to be the best parent you can be, or a good friend, or develop your skills. You, those are healthy desires. Those are called chanda, healthy desires. But when we become attached, they become unhealthy desires. So attachment for being craving for being, attachment to existence, or to becoming, achieving. And then the third taint is ignorance of the selfless nature of reality. That is, taking this self to be separate from the rest of life. We've spoken about this before, this is really the heart of what the Buddha says is our problem with feeling disconnected and separate, not seeing that we are life expressing itself through this form. And ignorance is missing that fact and feeling ourselves separate um, and um, with some fixed identity, fixed unchanging place inside. So these are the three taints or defilements when one doesn't see, one keeps on going on the round of, of uh, samsara. And he says, see if I can, I'll just read a little bit of the, the discourse. There are taints, I say the destruction of the taints is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. Who knows and sees what? Wise attention and unwise attention. When one attends unwisely, unarisen taints arise. That is, unarisen impurities of mind arise when you're not giving wise attention. And arisen impurities, I'll just use that word now, arisen impurities increase when you're not attending wisely. 
when one attends wisely, unarisen taints do not arise, and arisen taints are abandoned. These taints that should be abandoned, there are taints that should be abandoned by seeing. And here he goes into these different kinds of ways to uh, abandon the, the, the taints. Seven ways of, dis, of destroying the taints. There are, there are taints that should be abandoned by seeing. There are taints that should be abandoned by restraining. There are taints that should be abandoned by using, and I'll go into what each of these mean. There are taints that should be abandoned by enduring. There are taints that should be abandoned by avoiding. There are taints that should be abandoned by removing. And there are taints that should be abandoned by developing. So he's just laying out the arc of this discourse and says there are these impurities, those three craving for sense desire, craving for existence, and craving for, um, and getting lost in ignorance. And there are seven ways to overcome these taints. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, he does like lists. Yeah. So, <laughs> it amazes me the, the, the scholars that can memorize all of, all of these things. As a monk, there are 227 rules that you've got to keep in mind. So, um, however, he did say, if you can't remember a whole lot, just remember one thing, be mindful. That'll do it. Okay, so now I'll just, I'll share a little bit more and then we can talk and see how this can be applied to our life. Okay, so there's unwise attention, which if you're, uh, if you're caught in unwise attention, these impurities increase or they arise if they haven't come, or they increase if they're there. And first I'll just, so I'll go into what is unwise attention? And one definition of unwise attention is four distortions of reality that fall into unwise attention. Okay, now, another list. One, and these are also called, at least three of them are called uh, the vipalases, or distortions of reality. One distortion of reality is taking what is impermanent to be permanent. This is the underlying reality of existence. Everything is changing. We might even know that conceptually, but in our being we forget and think that something should be 
staying here. I should have my health. What do you mean something's broke? What, what is this diagnosis? Where did that come from? Or I want this happy moment or this, ha I am I've, I've worked so hard to get my life together. I finally got it together, yeah. And then forgetting that it's impermanent and so it's going to go through its cycles. And most of our dukkha, most of our pain is not realizing in our bones that it's all changing. So taking what is impermanent to be permanent or at least getting fooled into thinking this is the way it's supposed to be and stay. That is one distortion of reality. A second distortion of reality, taking what is uh, pleasure, taking what is a source of pain to be a source of pleasure. Okay, now this is again a pretty refined kind of understanding. He, uh, he says, the Buddha says, that when we become attached to anything and it's changing, then it is bound to cause suffering. And so he says, one distortion, a second distortion of reality, unwise attention, is taking what ultimately will be a source of unsatisfactoriness, you know, what, whatever, oh, when I have this, it'll be so good. And it might be good for a while, but then it's not gonna be staying that way. That is dukkha because everything changes trying to hold on to changing experience is suffering. So he says, taking what actually ultimately will be leading to suffering as being where happiness is to be found. And in fact, that's what motivated him to teach in the first place after he was enlightened, he looked supposedly with his super mundane powers and he saw everybody wants to be happy and they are doing just the exact things that lead to more suffering. That is being attached to what is impermanent. And then he saw there were a some with just a little dust covering their eyes who could see what he sees. And that is us as well. So he says, when you see what ultimately is a source of unsatisfactoriness, or when you think that it's gonna do it for you, this is unwise attention. A third is a distortion of reality, is 
taking what is not self to be self. And again, this is what I was talking about a moment ago, anatta, the selfless nature of reality, taking this selfless expression of reality where you can't point to anything inside and say, oh, that's me. It, you're all just, just a flow of experience of sensations and uh, biological processes and thoughts and emotions and it's all just flowing and there's no one place that you can point to and say, that's me. He says, see through that solidification of who you think you are and see there is nothing fixed and unchanging there. So taking what is not self to be self and then the fourth is taking and this is where I have some caution in sharing. He says taking what is foul to be seen as beautiful. Okay. And this is where he talks about getting caught up in, this, in the human form. Uh, particularly uh, attracted and wanting to possess um, somebody else because you're so turned on by them. Okay, and he says, and this is one of the one of the meditations. He says, when you really take a look at it, what is this human form? The package might look really entrancing, but he says, take a look a little bit deeper. And there's a whole meditation in the uh, Satipatthana Sutta of going through 32 different parts of the body. He says, it starts out with hair on the head. Okay, oh, that person has such beautiful hair. You cut that hair and you put it on a table, it's, it's not going to be so beautiful. Hair, nails, take somebody's nails and, and put them on the table, they're, they're not quite as, as, as pretty. And you go through 32 parts of the body and saying, oh, look at what this package is that I'm so entranced by. And he kind of takes it apart so that it loses its attraction. Okay, now you can take this on whatever level you want. I think it's, it's good to uh, appreciate the aesthetics and the and the uh, the beauty in life in all its forms, whether it's nature or humans um, or animals or whatever. I think there's a way to see everything as beautiful. That's what that devotion to the sacred um, uh, retreat I'll be doing is is about. But to get entranced and under the spell of beauty. That's what he's talking about is unwise attention. Okay, so that's unwise attention. Wise attention, now we get to those seven ways to bring wise attention, 
wise relationship to reality. First, I'll just go through them and then maybe we can have a conversation, see what this trips up, where it triggers in you or, or you want to explore together. First, seeing was the first one, wise attention by seeing. That is, one sees, one is fit for attention, and what things are unfit for attention. Again, this is very refined, and particularly, he's speaking to monastics, but this can be applied to us, too. There are some things that touch us in a beautiful way, and there are some things that trigger us in um, a not so beneficial way. You might think for yourself, um, hmm, maybe we'll just pause for a moment. What, uh, you might reflect, what do you pay attention to, when you pay attention to it, it brings a wholesome kind of joy or feeling. Um, and maybe we can just take a comment or two, and maybe if you, if you yell out loudly or if you, uh, I'm looking at the screen here, um, anybody, uh, just volunteer. What really brings a wholesome quality when you give it attention? Anyone? Exercise. Exercise. Okay, yeah, that's one. Great. And this? Say again. Your cousin's? Two children. Two children, ah. So seeing children playing, there's something really sweet that touches you in a very beautiful way. Anyone online? can raise your hand or uh, if you've got a, a video on. Uh, Steve, and uh, maybe unmute yourself. Yes, um, really good poetry. Ah, beautiful. I love that. Me too. So you, you get the idea. There are some things, oh, when I give this attention, it really moves me in a healthy way. I won't ask what you give attention to that might not be so healthy. You could probably f sort that one out for yourself. But we all have our things like, mm, do I really want to go there? Oh, what the heck? And, and then you, you, know, you might be down a rabbit hole, on a hyperlink reality, or etc., etc. So that's the first, to just look what you're paying attention to and what really supports well-being and what doesn't. Okay? With me so far? All right. Second is wise attention by restraining. And in this sense, it's restraining the six sense doors that... Um, Restrain, restraining, that is, okay, you might see something, 
But that doesn't mean you have to act on whatever impulse that leads to an action. You get triggered, you know, suppose you have a, um, you know, suppose you're in recovery and if you see some alcohol, which for you is going to be really deadly. So the first thing is don't go there. But the second is, okay, restraining yourself from acting on the impulse. And there are five aspects to this restraining. Virtue, that is living with integrity. Mindfulness, clear seeing. Knowledge that is reflecting wisely. Is this going to be beneficial or not? Sorry. Energy by uh, restraining, that is removing the unwholesome thoughts, not feeding them energy. And patience by enduring. All of those have to do with not acting when you're triggered on the impulse to go ahead and do something unwise, which will lead that much more to a, um, unwholesome results. It's one thing to have um, an unhealthy thought or a thought that leads to suffering. It's another, once you act on it, the karmic impact is much deeper. So he says, Okay, you might see, but then restrain. Third is using wisely is another way to destroy the taints. That is food, medicine, uh, using what we have without overindulging. There's a a uh, concept I love in, um, in Buddhism called matanuta, which is um, moderation, that is knowing when it's just enough. One dessert is great. Two is maybe has some consequences. Three, probably not such wise attention, especially if they're big portions. So just to know when enough is enough, that's it. That's using wisely. Got it? That makes sense. Four is enduring. Wise attention by enduring. That is having the capacity to endure difficulty when there's no, no way out of it. Instead of, mm, instead of adding a second arrow, oh, why is this happening? If there's not much you can do about it, you know that serenity prayer, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So it's enduring. If your body is hurting, 
I'm all for getting good medical care if we're fortunate enough to have it. Uh, last week I had some uh, an intense uh, thing um, happen, um, break out, and I was in I was in pain. Uh, and I'm pretty good with pain, but uh, at some point I called the doctor and said, um, "This is going on." And fortunately, I got some medication that. It's amazing that that happens. So you don't want to endure to the point of masochism. But if there's not much you can do about it, okay. And there wasn't until I got the medication. Okay, it's great practice uh, when you're on retreat and you have a pain and you're doing it just to see if it's not to be a samurai, but just to see if there's another way to relate to, um, to discomfort. And this also includes enduring unwelcome words. That's a big one. Somebody snaps at you or says something that's difficult for you to hear. Most of us have some kind of reaction to it. How much of a reaction can depend on how strong your mindfulness is and how much you take it personally. So he says, if you really want to overcome these defilements, impurities of mind, to take the blame, take, receive, no, not take in, but to hear the blame and not take it in. There's a, a, a famous teaching about praise and blame. He says, the Buddha says, in this world, those who speak much are blamed, those who speak little are blamed, those who remain silent are blamed. In this world, no one escapes from blame. And he was had a whole lot of criticism of people who were jealous of him, and his practice was to just not take it on. That's their problem, not mine. So again, that's a high level to endure and not to be um, um, deeply uh, distraught by words or physical difficulties. Fifth, wise attention, avoiding, and this is something that we said a little before, avoiding dangerous environments, avoiding dangerous animals, going into unsuitable places, associating with bad friends. These are all under avoiding, okay? This goes under guarding the sense doors too. The sixth, removing, wise attention by removing. Removing arisen thoughts of desire, ill will, cruelty, unwholesome states. When they're there, that is not feeding them and, uh, and not getting caught up in them. So removing them by being mindfully present of them and not feeding them. And then the last is developing. That is developing 
the seven factors of enlightenment. And these are very briefly, these are different qualities that when you develop lead to enlightenment. Mindfulness, investigation or curiosity, energy, wholesome energy to practice, joy, one I like a lot, calm, concentration, and equanimity. Those are the seven factors of enlightenment. He says, cultivate those wholesome states. Everything else will be taken care of. Okay, so this is the discourse on the destruction of the taints and impurities of mind. A lot, huh? He packs a lot into one, one discourse. And of course, when at the end of this discourse, when they heard the teaching, they were delighted and some became enlightened. So let me know. <laughs> so we have some time and just to, to take in, in I'm, I'm, I have the, I have everybody in front of me, this is so much better than when it was on the side, um, to see any comments, any observations, any questions, any problem with anything that's, that's been said. Or if you have a question about practice, we can spend some time that way too. So, and, uh, Phil is going to come around with the mic, and the last time we did this, this is when, um, oh, is it, yeah, there it is. This is when there was a reverberation, so I want, I want to know if, if that happens. Um, there was a bad echo, so let's see if it works this time. Um, anyone who wants to comment or bring anything up? Yeah, oh, Kimberly. Hi. Hi. Aloha, James. Um, you know what I'm hearing, to, not to oversimplify it, but to help myself be able, I'm hearing that all that we've heard in the past about not grasping, not grasping not only the dukkha, but also the too good. Like I had an amazing day at work today. And it's like, okay. Mm. Okay. You know. <laughs> Glad you, glad you bring that up. Um, and this is where there can be a misunderstanding. That, that's really why I ended up writing a book about joy. Uh, because for some time after my honeymoon period, I somehow misconstrued the teachings to say it's not okay to celebrate life and to celebrate the good, uh, which is, I, I think, what you're pointing to. And here's the difference. I'm so glad that you had a good day. Mm. And I think it's important to nourish ourselves as much as we can with goodness in this world, like seeing everything as sacred and being touched by it. 
there's a difference between attachment and appreciation. And for me, I think it's really healthy and important to appreciate all the good. Oh, you're on mute if you're, uh, I don't know if you're trying to say something. but uh, I'm agreeing with you. I, uh, I'm, I'm saying it in the sense, I think what I'm hearing is, yeah, I'm absolutely appreciative and I feel fantastic and I help people and, you know, it doesn't get for me better than that. Mm -hmm. And it's not everything. Even though in this moment it feels like beyond everything, mm -hmm. it's, not. it's not. There you go. I, I, you know, yesterday there were um, there were a number of good things that happened today uh, that happened yesterday, and uh, each evening um, uh, when we can, uh, my wife and I go for a, a good walk, and we just kind of check in about the day. And yesterday we we both had good days. Um, and it was great to just celebrate, wow, what a fortunate day. This happened, this really wonderful conversation happened, uh, this information about uh, the medical thing happened and all of these things. And I think it's really good to celebrate. Wow, life is, is really good sometimes. Like I say in, in Awakening Joy, don't, miss it. That's the point. However, if I say, oh, I hope tomorrow is going to be as good, and sure you can hope tomorrow is, but if it's not, it's about being here for the ride. So when the days aren't really as good, not to think that life has um, played some mean trick on you because that's what impermanence is all about. So there's the difference between grasping, attachment, and appreciating to the fullest with gratitude for while it's here. That's how I see it. Anything, anything else that, uh, Isaac, hi. Yes, thanks for your words. Um, one question I had is, it seems like there are things to avoid as part of these teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, unwise attachment and so on. Coming from an Abrahamic tradition, which I suppose other folks may also be, mm -hmm. my instincts are to kind of treat it as such, like, a, oh, I did it even though I shouldn't have done it, and now I've sinned, and now there's a big problem. Mm. So I'm interested in your thoughts and how to handle it from more of a Buddhist or tradition when you kind of transgress these rules, I guess, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, again, a really good question. Um, and in, in the, the Abrahamic traditions in Christianity and, and, uh, and Judaism, uh, sin, the way I understand it, is missing the mark. You've missed the mark. And then, yes. What? Uh, not that you're a bad person, but that you've 
acted in an unclear, unskillful way that causes suffering to yourself or to others. And in, in Buddhism, it's the same idea where instead of being beating yourself up, you just were unaware. And if you bring awareness to your unskillful actions and you see, oh, when I do this, it doesn't feel good. Or when I hurt somebody, it didn't feel good. We have this conscience inside of us that knows. And the Buddha says, instead of guilt, in one of my favorite suttas, he says, apply wise remorse and see, oh, look how this feels when you cause suffering, either to someone else or to yourself, and learn from it. Don't keep on repeating the same mistake. If you have wise remorse, you say, oh yeah, it didn't feel so good. And there's wisdom there that says, I don't want to cause suffering to myself as well as someone else. So you are learning, as one of my teachers says, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. So everything is going towards your own uh, increased consciousness moving towards well-being. And guilt has absolutely zero value in this. In, in the teachings, there are these two wholesome qualities, Hiri and Otapam, which are why, um, uh, moral dread and moral, uh, moral shame and moral dread. It's kind of like Victorian translation, but really it's like you know a place inside of you that's off. And he says, those are wholesome states, so pay attention because you know better if you can quietly listen inside. Hope that makes sense to you. Yeah. Anything here? Who are you? What's that? Someone is muted. Oh, isn't muted. Okay, then I'll just. Uh, I can. I can. I do. I have it. Yeah. I'm muted. Uh-oh, now. I think it's because you muted all, James. You ended up muting the distant camera, whichever one had your mic attached to. So now we don't hear you at all, dear.
There you go. Now I got it. I unmuted all, and I unmuted that mic too. Got it. All right, we're learning. Um, so, as I was saying, I, whatever lands for you in this, use it, and whatever doesn't, let it go. Take what's useful and leave the rest. Uh, and you might just, this week, explore what you pay attention to and what you choose not to pay attention to and know that you have a choice. And so um, it, this is to be applied, as the Buddha says in the, in the chants, Ehe pasiko, come and see for yourself. Don't take my word for it, he says. You put it into practice. See what happens when you pay attention to things that, that inspire you or let you feel whole. What happens when you pay attention to things that, uh, that don't? Without any kind of recrimination or blame, just explore. It's all just an investigation. Okay, so we'll just uh, do a dedication of merit. May our coming here together be for our own benefit and development in wisdom and in kindness. And may it ripple out to touch everyone in our lives. And may our collective merit be sent out, radiating out to be beneficial to all beings everywhere and to the planet. May all beings know the highest happiness and peace.